Hello, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies, or sometimes borderline, not necessarily exactly technically kids' movies, <laughs> and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week, we watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man? <laughs> It's not his last name. <laughs> it's a joke from, like, Orange is the New First Season of Orange is the New Black, but it's really funny, and I'm sorry I'm going to do it the whole podcast. It's a joke from Friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're right. It's most recently seen by me, like, six years ago in the first <laughs> season of Orange is the New Black. Second season? Third either, season? Either anyway. way, it's Spider-Man. <laughs> Homecoming. Spider-Dash-Man. Yeah, it's Do true. Do you disagree with the dash? Is they, I'm just trying to remember if there's a dash in the title of the movie. Yes, there is. Okay. There is a dash. I don't disagree with the dash. The dash is there. The dash is part of like what his name is. It's like, do you disagree with the extra T at the end of my name? Well, you can disagree, but it's my name. It's always Spider-Dash-Man? Yeah. This is a huge digression before we even started. Hi, guys. Hi. Jen, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? I would love to tell us a bit about Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming is a 2017 film. It was directed by John Watts, written by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. It stars Tom Holland as Spider-Man, as well as Michael Keaton, John Favreau, Zendaya, Donald Glover, Marissa Tomei, Robert Downey Jr. and Jacob Batalon. So, Paul, what is the plot of Spider-Man Homecoming? Peter Parker is in high school, and against the backdrop of his school preparing for Homecoming, he struggles with trying to live as Spider-Man. Meanwhile, a new villain whose name never is named in the movie, but is the equivalent of the comic book, The Vulture. He has the same name, like Adrian Toomes. yeah. Meanwhile, a new villain and arms dealer is making and selling weapons based on alien technology. And he crosses paths with Spider-Man, who does everything he can to stop him. Also, Tony Stark wants Spider-Man to not help. Yeah. That's what happens. Yep. So, objectively speaking, let's get into this. How good is Spider-Man Homecoming? How good is everybody doing on this movie? I think, uh, first of all, performances I want to talk about in terms of quality. Yeah. And I want to specifically talk about four different performances that I think all deserve calling out as all being really very good. And that's Tom Holland, who I think is objectively the best Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's just my favorite. Like, Andrew Garfield and to- uh, Tobey Maguire right. both did great. I liked both of their movies and both of their performances, especially in Tobey Maguire's in Spider-Man 1 and 2. But Tom Holland is playing, like, he... Andrew Garfield turned up the, like, wisecracking-ness uh, of Spider-Man, and uh, Tobey Maguire had the kind of flusteredness of Spider-Man, and Tom Holland has both. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And they're both necessary for the character. And, like, he's just doing so well mm-hmm. at being who I read Spider-Man as in the comics. Yeah, and he's so young, which is perfect. It's really nice to have a really young Spider-Man again. Yep. The other one, I think Michael Keaton is great. Oh, yeah. I think he's so good in oh, this role. Yeah. And it's kind of stunt casting, right? To have him, to have famously Batman be a superhero villain. I guess so, yeah, yeah. He's also really good at being villains. He is so good at being villainous. He has this, like, growl in his delivery mm-hmm. that is very, uh, very successfully intimidating. Yep. Uh, so I think he's doing really good in this movie. And he plays that, you know, he's so threatening when he's threatening, but I also buy him as, like, hardworking Joe pushed too far. And I also buy him as, like, protective dad who's misguided. You know, like, I think he's pulling those three elements together very well. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the third performance that, like, I don't know if actually this one is a particularly great performance. I think she's terrible for the role, but I enjoy Marissa Tomei in this movie. <laughs> As Aunt May? Yeah. I agree. Like, when Marissa Tomei, in, like, whatever movie she was in before as aunt may i was like really she's just so like not aunt may and like when they first introduce her she's kind of wisecracking not just so different from any aunt may we've ever seen before but i agree that like i'm kind of on board with it like it's an evolution that needed to happen and an aunt may that's not that much older than me makes me be like uh, but also, like, I am, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, like, we'll it's... talk more about Aunt May and what she, in in all kinds of senses, I think. But yeah. in terms of just quality, I think I like what Marissa Tomei is bringing to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, Zendaya, who we <laughs> talked about in, like, I think that's a mix of performance and I really like what they write for her. But I really like Zendaya's MJ. It is, again, not at all like MJ from the comics. Yeah, I don't think she's supposed to be like MJ MJ. She's, her name's Michelle. And then she's like, call me MJ. Yeah, and she was cast. There was a lot of talk when she was cast as MJ that she was, uh, it was uh, reported that she had been cast as MJ. Mm-hmm. Right? And that it's supposed to be like a reveal at the end or like a wink at the end when she says, my friends call me MJ. It's kind of like at the end of uh, the Dark Knight Rises when Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, my real name's Robin, yeah. wink, wink. Like it's, I don't know if she's supposed to be, I mean, she's clearly not Mary Jane Watson, but she's no. Peter Parker's love interest MJ. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I really like what she's bringing to this movie. Yes. Objectively speaking, she's great. And it's half the writing, but it's also half the performance. Yeah. She was in uh, The Greatest Showman. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that movie, I thought she was fine. Do you mean The Greatest Showman? (laughs) With a hyphen? Yeah. Wasn't that how it was? (laughs) The Greatest Showman. In that movie, I didn't think she was particularly great. But in this movie, I think she's extremely charming. Yeah, absolutely. With, she's like, great. so much charisma. 
So those four performances stand out for me. Yeah, me too. I agree with every single one of you, every single one of the things you're saying. I also think that Ned uh, is also fantastic. I really like him as a character. I really like his like guy on a chair. Yeah. Around. Um, what do you think of the writing in this movie? Well done. Like, I mean, in general, it's good all around. It has an interesting plot. It's got, uh, as I say in, in, like, every movie, a bit too much, like, action, 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 action. But, I mean, that's to be expected in a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, the dialogue is amazing. Like you were saying about, like, Spider-Man. This is a Spider-Man that we really recognize as from the comics, He's wisecracking, but super awkward. Yep. He's just a kid, and he, like, yeah, will say things like, on the phone, he's talking about his churro, and he's like, why did I say churro? That's exactly (laughs) the kind of thing Spider-Man would do. Yeah. Like, the most Spider-Man thing. And the, like, when he shows up to fight the guys dressed as the Avengers, and, like, he has a couple of, like, deciding how he's going to pose to look cool, and then he says his quip. Yeah, those little things are so good because yep. he's not, I think, best. Spider-Man is not uh, at his best when he's like super quick-witted, the funniest guy, the class, the way Andrew Garfield played him. Mm-hmm. That was an element that had been missing, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, the like one step more of like he says funny things and witty things and quips, but like is also. It's kind of verbal diarrhea rather than quick-wittedness. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that it speaks to the director as well. Like, it's well-directed. And, like, having him stand like that and having all sorts of things. The visuals are really good. His suit is amazing. Little, like, elements of technology work really well. Uh, Seamless, like, the CGI of, say, him putting a... uh, web between buildings and walking it like a tightrope and swinging around on it is obviously like a cgi would would have to be a cgi moment but it's seamless yeah you don't notice at all those kind of things which i love there's a performance i didn't call out that i also really enjoyed that i should call out but it was i didn't think of it at first because it's more a cameo than really a performance maybe Mm -hmm. and that's donald glover oh yeah for sure it was great i loved his scenes Mm -hmm. they made me a little bit sad that he never got to be spider-man himself Mm -hmm. but they were great he was great and they were really well like especially the interrogation scene is what made me think of it as it's a moment of especially good writing yeah uh look you gotta get better at this part of the job man (laughs) in the I really thought the script was quite strong uh, in terms of dialogue. What did you think about the writing, like the other half of writing, the plotting, and do all the char- do all the parts fit, and are, are we following the structure of a story properly? What do you think? I think we mostly are. There's a few aspects of it, and one of them is, I don't really think Tony Stark in this movie makes sense. Hmm the kinds of things he does and happy hogan even less that like they don't listen to and are dismissive of spider-man for no good reason he's a kid yeah that's the reason basically yeah that's not a good enough reason Mm -hmm. right and the disaster on the boat is as much iron man's fault as spider-man's and the like yeah 
the movie doesn't really it kind of makes Iron Man be antagonistic to Spider-Man so that he can have a hard life sometimes Mm -hmm. because it's too easy on Spider-Man if everyone likes him and is cheering for him which is fair enough like he needs to have obstacles but I just don't feel like it was motivated yeah yeah that's fair and especially happy like just not listening anytime he calls when like he's you know there's no reason that you have to be so dismissive of him Mm -hmm. he's annoying yeah that's fair but like he's also risking like doing life and death things yeah right yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely and they all know that he's doing life and death things Mm -hmm. So that part is, like, was a, an element of the story that I didn't think quite worked. Yeah. But overall... How overall, much did, did... I, I thought the Vulture's motivation was clear all the way through. I thought he was great as a villain. Like, a really good villain. Well-written. Uh, I thought that the escalation of the plot worked really well. Mm-hmm. Where, like, things just keep getting... the The stakes keep rising. Plausibly... And and the reveal of Vulture being Liz's father great, was really good. That I did not see that coming. Yeah, really good. Um, so overall, how much did you enjoy this movie? I enjoyed it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I like Spider-Man. Um, he's not my very favorite. He's a lot of people's favorite. I think he is now our kid's favorite. Yep, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> halfway through the movie our oldest just like got up and just was spider-man for a while <laughs> yep um but I, I enjoy it i love this movie a lot i must say i think this is the second second time i've seen it maybe third i can't remember and it is definitely my i liked the other spider-man movies well not spider-man 3 with toby mcguire because that was the poop but this one is just so good. Tom Holland is so good. He's just so vulnerable and sweet. And everything about this movie, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Definitely, I'm glad. I like that it's young-oriented. Yeah, but he's in high school. Yeah. is good. And maybe we should get into that. So let's get into... The way part of our show with a little bit of a discussion, as I was saying, about this being a kid's movie or not a kid's movie. So obviously the kind of premise of our podcast is we take kids movies way too seriously. But as our kids are getting a bit older, we're recognizing that it's not just going to be, you know, My Little Pony and Disney movies. <laughs> We've never talked about a My Little Pony movie. We should, but we haven't. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of too late now. Um, our kids have outgrown it. But, which I'm sad about. Like, I liked My Little Pony. No shade on My Little Pony at all. As our kids get older, we're going to watch more of these movies that are more on the edge of, like, teen tween like movies that anyone would enjoy and watch and we'll talk about the serious elements of them but we want to talk a little bit before we get into our standard too seriously part about whether this movie is acceptable for kids what age it's acceptable for i don't know what acceptable appropriate. not acceptable appropriate for 
it's always, of course, up to a parent about what kind of movies they show their kid. We tend to be pretty mild because of reasons we've said before, like when we see something on the screen, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. We discuss it. We discuss, you know, something they have questions about and don't just breeze over it. And so we feel like we, our kids need to be at an age where they're mature enough to have that conversation before we just stick on a movie with a bunch of sex and violence. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, you say as our kids are getting older, like our youngest is only seven. Uh, <laughs> She'll be eight soon. <laughs> she's not that older yet. It's true. It's the, it's because the oldest is, is 10. The oldest 10... is 10 and we pull... She pulls everything up because she doesn't want to watch the seven-year-old movies anymore. And the yeah. seven-year-old is willing to watch the ten-year-old movies. Yes. Very true. But we could maybe... Anyway. Um, our seven-year-old is very anxious to watch all the Avengers movies. And we're our trying to like... Our ten-year-old. Sorry. Our ten-year-old is very anxious to watch all the Avengers movies. And we're trying to hold back the reins... And like watch them in order of what not nar- what makes narrative sense, but in order of how we deem them to be most appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. And so we watched Captain America: The First Avenger a while back, and you know, feel free to talk to us about whether that was appropriate for kids, because I'd love to go into it with you. But right now, our second one that we decided was this one. Having now just watched it, do you think we judged right? Mostly. There was a bit more bad language than I remember, mm-hmm. which I don't think is the end of the world. And our kids are very much like, there was language in this, but it's not language that I use. So, you know. I'm very, I personally am, and I grew up even more in a household that like, very, very mild and tame in our use of language. Mm-hmm. I don't swear. Yeah. Like, at all. Almost ever. Um. I probably swear more on this podcast than anywhere else in my life, which is weird. (laughs) Our other podcast, though. Our other podcast, too. And sometimes in the classroom. And I don't know why those. It's like, because for the sake of impact as a speaker, sometimes you want to employ words that are going to get an emotional reaction. Like, it's a a speaking technique. So, like, even the words in this movie of, like, damn is, like... Our kids don't hear us say that. There was a lot of what the hell. Yeah. And I don't say that around my kids or at all. Yeah. I Like, I really don't. And our kids don't. And some parents, some kids, like, their threshold is much higher than that. Mm -hmm. And this movie's threshold was much higher than that. Yes. Let's actually uh, take the concept of bad words seriously for a second. That, like... One of the questions as a parent and one of the questions as a person is like, are there such things as bad words? Mm. When I was like my parents and especially my mom definitely thought there were bad words. And I still, uh, you know, control my language as a result of that. And in my capacity as a professor of English... I intellectually believe that words have meaning and power based on the context and the cultural impact that they have. There's nothing inherent in the sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so bad words, what I have said to the kids is bad words are words that hurt people, is what makes them bad. Mm-hmm. And so like, 
words for bodily functions are less I see, like, I'm not saying it. This this is rated as a kid-friendly podcast, so I'm not just going to say all the swear words that there are, even if I was comfortable with it, which I'm not really. But uh, it's exactly that question of, that, like, why are there sounds that are bad? Why are particular body function words bad? And I feel like there's a cultural shift of, like, what counts as a bad word. Mm-hmm. That, like, the F word... Uh, it is the F word a word that rhymes with duck or a word that rhymes with bag? Mm-hmm. Because one of those feels to me much more hurtful than mm-hmm. the other. And it's what is hurtful is what makes a word bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, our kids came home one day going, I learned there was another F word today. And I went, what word are they talking about? And when I figured it out, I was like, oh... Yeah, don't say that. Yeah, really don't say that one. I'd much rather you not say that. I'd rather you say the one that rhymes with duck than the one that rhymes bag. Yeah. Yep. And I've heard, like, and this one I do feel comfortable saying, so it says a lot about the nature of cultural conditioning of words, but I've heard debates about whether fat should be an F word. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people who like fat's not a bad word, you have to etc but yeah. like what what makes words bad is that they hurt people is what i teach the kids and so sitting down and watching spider-man and they're dropping words that we don't use in our house but are they hurting anyone mm-hmm. including my seven-year-old and ten-year-old watching the movie i don't think so yeah is that too much discussion maybe a bit <laughs> <laughs> i mean all this to say like in terms of us, for our eight and ten year olds, uh, Spider Man Homecoming is one of the most child friendly MCU movies. Uh, just in comparison of like the all the violence is very bloodless, yes, very cartoony. No one actually the villain doesn't die. Yeah, there's no. Are there any deaths? Oh, the villain shoots someone. Yeah, shoots one of his own henchmen who disintegrates into a pile of dust, which yeah. is shocking, but also much less disturbing than if it was like a bleeding wound yes absolutely i think about final fight scenes in spider-man movies and Mm -hmm. think about how in spider-man one with toby Maguire, he's like uh green goblin has been punching him and he's like got a bloody face and there's blood in his teeth and he like looks really beat up yeah and this movie uh he the vulture drops a building on spider-man and he limps and groans but there's no blood yeah and that's like violence for kids i think um why is cartoony better it's not because violence i mean the downside of cartoony violence is it may seem like it glorifies or uh downplays the significance of violence that violence isn't a good thing but the upside of ungory violence is that goriness is frightening mm-hmm. and i don't want my kid to watch something that's going to scare them yeah. so flying around punch punch and uh can be exciting in a superhero context and we've talked before and probably i don't think we need to in this for this podcast but about glorifying violence in movies see previous podcasts for that discussion mm-hmm. but uh 
specifically for it to be appropriate for my kids, I want it not to frighten them. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And I don't think, like, while Vulture is intimidating, I think he's rarely actually frightening. Yeah. And the sex is also, a, like, in a, an aspect of age appropriateness. Mm-hmm. The porn comment. Yes. That made me unhappy to sit next to my 7 and 10-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, and all the... But other, other than that, than that there's they're really... nothing. Yeah. There's even, like, barely, like, he has romantic <gasps> feelings about Liz. He doesn't even kiss her. There's no... That's barely even a blip. Yeah. It's really just a fun adventure movie. Yep. And I like it a lot for that. Speaking of romantic feelings for Liz, let's move past the whether it's appropriate for children portion to some of our more familiar ground on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And how is this movie doing, do you think, in terms of sex and gender? I think that... I feel like Liz is... uh, doesn't have a lot of personality. No. The Zendaya, I mean, um, MJ or Michelle or whatever, she has way more personality. Yeah. Uh, Liz just seems to be a, both a pawn of her father's and then of a love interest for Peter. Right. I mean, she does have layers and she has interests and she has, like, things that she does but her role within the script is to provide motivation for peter and then to provide uh sympathy for the vulture yeah they're like not literally not as bad as a hotel transylvania but symbolically they're fighting at the end for her yeah because of how the structure of the story is like he and that you know, there's this triangle of the of Peter and uh, Tombs and her all in the car, and we're aware of all the tensions, and they're all about who gets to earn her affection and who doesn't. Yes, exactly. Right, and so she structurally and, se- and secrets they're keeping from her. Yeah. So structurally, she's both of their potential rewards. Mm-hmm. It's not great. No. And you say she has layers and sort of. Yeah. Like I mean, she, she has, has interests. She has interests. Like. She's, I feel like, this kind of cookie cutter. Uh, if you want a girl to be your reward, you make her be, you know, I don't think we see her literally being a cheerleader, but she's like cheerleader, band practice, academic decathlon leader in a swimsuit. Like, yeah. let's, let's hit all the things. Yeah. She's good at everything and is running homecoming and is pretty and is smart and is funny and check, check, check. Right? Yeah. yeah, I hear what you're saying. But they also, they have other, they have MJ there to counterbalance that a bit. I think MJ is great. And I think anyone who watches this movie and is rooting for... Like, even if you didn't know Spider-Man mythology, anyone who watches this movie and is rooting for Peter and Liz to get together is not paying attention. Yeah. (laughs) Because MJ is so much more, Michelle is so much more compelling a character, so much more well-drawn as a character. I'm not rooting for them to get together, but I'm I'm rooting for her to be, like, part of the team. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, get together in the sense of, like... I suppose what I meant by that is anyone who watches this and it is, I think, and doesn't say, 
what does he see in Liz when <laughs> Michelle yeah. is right here? She's so much more interesting. Yes, that is also true. Liz is so a nothing character, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So the other main female character we have is Aunt May. So on one hand, Marissa Tomei is like, wow, she's really young for playing Aunt May. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, she's the age of, uh, you know, like a sibling of Peter's mother. Yep. Absolutely. She's like late 40s. She's the right age. She's to the be... right age. She's like, is Aunt May his great aunt in the comics? No, I don't think so. It's kind of a generic, like, she's his aunt thing. Yeah. So I just looked her up. Her actual age is 53. So she is completely old enough to be Peter Parker's aunt. She's very age appropriate. She's the most age appropriate. Like, uh, usually Aunt May, as depicted in the comics, is like, looks old enough to be Peter's great grandmother. Yeah, she's She's like 80. so, like, frail and extremely white haired and wrinkled in the comics. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is actually much more plausible that she would be his aunt in terms of like her age okay that's all well and good i think the most interesting thing about the representation of aunt may in this movie to talk about from a way too seriously standpoint is that there's no character the running gag that every male character who shows up in the movie is like your aunt's hot yeah what do we think about that Hmm. because i see i i could take it a few different ways on one hand, it kind of works for me just as a joke. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and yes, Marissa Tomei is hot. You know, like, that makes sense. On the other hand, uh, in the service of that joke, it's very objectifying of her. Not just the characters objectify her, but the movie objectifies her. Yes. Right? Um, but on the other other hand... Maybe it's uh, a bit of a... To give sexuality to a woman over over 50 Yeah, But, like, maybe it's a bit of a something we should pay attention to, that, like, how often do we have movies recognizing that a woman over 30 (laughs) could be desirable and have sexual agency and presence, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. It's like in most movies, you turn 30 and you stop existing as a sexual being. Yeah. And so, like, that's something I think that is good. Mm-hmm. Because, no, duh. Like, especially people like Tony Stark. Like, how old is Robert Downey Jr.? He's 55. He's age appropriate to be attracted to Marissa Tomei. Oh, absolutely. She's yeah. a more appropriate pairing for him than Gwyneth Paltrow. It's a bit of a wink, too, because they were in movies together. Yeah. Or at least a movie together. So, like, I'm not sure. So what do you think? Yeah. About I, those three hands that I, I just gave. I think that the third hand is the best. I think that I'm going to give this movie an A plus for having a woman who is over 50, who is desirable, who's not just a elderly aunt. Mm-hmm. And to just go for that. And to, like, and play a little bit on the joke, but also on, like, the, hey, Peter Parker's aunt wouldn't be 90. No. Also, it has a little element of, like, this is just plain good writing that, like, the secondary characters don't think of themselves as secondary characters. Yes. And so, like, the waiter in the restaurant they go to doesn't know that Aunt May is a secondary character in someone else's story. Mm -hmm. And so the way that people react at Marissa Tomei's Aunt May 
is as if she is the primary character in her own story, right? Yes, so true. That's just good writing. Yeah. And the reason that he doesn't want to tell her to worry her is because she's lost her husband. Yeah. So we know that Spider-Man is protecting his aunt, as he always is, but the reasons I just feel like are more explicit and better, better defined that she's a whole person who isn't like, she's not sitting at home being sad, but she is vulnerable to Peter being like going out at night. And And I even like, there's a moment when he's talking to Ned about it. And I think to the good, he's a little muddy about why he doesn't want to tell her. Mm -hmm. It's not what often happens. The like very, very uh, protective. She's my poor daughtering aunt that I have to protect. There's some of that, and then mixed right into it is, she won't let me go. Yes, right? exactly. Which is a better mix of motivations. Yeah. That he's a 15-year-old who doesn't want to tell his aunt because she won't let him do a thing he wants to do anymore. Yeah, exactly. And he's also aware that she'll worry and he doesn't want her to, right? That he respects her enough that if, she's, if she starts to make rules and ground him, he'll follow that. Yep. Which I like a lot. That shows a respect both ways. That like he respects her enough that he wants to protect her, but he also respects her enough that like if she gives him a rule, he needs to follow it. Is there anything else in terms of sex and gender? I mean, we could just say, I think we've winked or we've uh, skirted around this, but let's just say one more time that uh, Peter and Liz's relationship is following very well-worn paths of. There has to be a love interest and it has to be heteronormative and it has to be motivating and she has to be in conflict with the villain for the affections of the hero and she's very much a pawn. Yes, absolutely. In all these ways. Yeah. In all these uh, tropic ways. Yes, exactly. I mean, do you think I'm wrong about any of that? No, I don't think you're wrong about any of that. I think that is one of the biggest problems with this movie in terms of that and in terms of it's, you know, very male-centric. Yeah. The villain, the hero, the sidekick, all all the mentor, all male. Yeah. The sidekick to the mentor. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah. that is. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Are all male. And so that's a little bit. And especially in the moments where they're men talking about whether to and how to protect their women. Yes, absolutely. Makes it even more... Uh, pronounced yeah however in terms of race in this movie like okay spider-man is white which he could have been miles morales which would have been awesome yeah or even just black spider-man he could have just been been donald like donald glover would have been amazing he would have been old he is now like he's missed his boat he can't do it anymore yeah um but uh every side character like is the entire high school is very diverse Mm-hmm. All sorts of people of color. I really like that they made Flash, uh, like, uh, Middle Eastern. They made, like, it just is great. I love it. I love that they have just forget everything you've read in terms of, like, oh, the comics depict them one way. These are characters that could be anything. Yeah. Can I, as a not comment on race, but just about Flash, I really love the depiction of Flash in this movie as he's... Uh on the math on the academic uh decathlon team he's not the jock yeah uh 
Because I think it's kind of more plausible that he would be a rival of Peter Parker's. Yes. So like, yes, there's the jock who picks on the nerd. That's a thing. But when Peter gets strong enough, a jock can't physically pick on him anymore. And then him as a bully doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas someone who, someone who just has more cultural capital and is meaner and, you know, says mean things about him, but is in the same kind of social clique. Yeah, it's it's that he, like, a in a large high school, a guy who's in the jock circle and a guy who's in, like, this mathlete circle might not even interact with each other at exactly. all. If they're in each other's circles, they're way more likely to be rivals and yeah. bullies to each other, etc. And it give, makes a lot more sense, too, that... I mean, like, bullies exist and you pick on someone because you pick on someone. But for the sake of a movie, it makes a lot more sense that Flash uh, picks on Peter because he's jealous of him than for just no reason. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Just those little things. But anyway, you were talking about race and I totally... Oh, no, I mean, I think I was, like, I'm just, I'm really impressed at how they handled race in this movie. I think that it, it gets a good grade, in my opinion. Yeah. I essentially agree. Um, This is uh, what we often are hoping for in a movie, which is just you show that people of different racial backgrounds exist. Yeah, exactly. That it isn't directly addressing anything. Mm -hmm. I don't think it needs to. No. Um, I don't know behind, like, in terms of production, how this movie is. But in terms of, like, hiring actors of color is a thing to also notice that like actors of color on the screen is important for representation reasons but it's also for like give roles to people i wanted to mention a line that happens right off the bat at the beginning of the movie when uh adrian toombs is looking at a like crayon drawing of the avengers which I don't even know where he's gotten it because, like, his daughter didn't draw that. Yeah, good call. Um, and he's like, oh, in my day, I drew cowboys and Indians. And his sidekick goes, Native Americans. And I like that he calls that out immediately, that it's like, no, we don't use that word. Hmm. That's interesting because I thought I read that as a moment that we are meant to be on Toombs' side. Hmm. That this is a kind of uh, stale poke at political correctness gone mad. Hmm. That Toombs is a sympathetic villain. One of the things that makes him sympathetic is he's an everyday working guy. And the wheels of bureaucracy and the wheels of correctness are like passing him by. And they're con- those are connected to each other. That like... The good old days when people could build things with their hands and uh, earn a decent living were better is kind of built into his character. Yeah. Although now that I'm saying it, maybe not because he... uh, No, but he adjusts with the times. It's why he's able to be successful. The world's changing. We should change too. But he changes into a villain. Mm -hmm. So... The days when he had the opportunity to make a living without being villainous were better. And those are tied to the days when you would just say cowboys and Indians because that was the old-fashioned good old days. Yeah, I don't think that's, like, yay for him. No, I think, but I think the movie is, uh, is, I think we are meant to be, the movie's encouraging us to be on his side in that moment. Hmm. 
because it is the like millennial oh uh over intellectualizing oversensitive we don't call them Indians anymore, that he and we presumably are with him in this moment, we're encouraged to sympathize with him in this moment, are like, ugh. I don't know. I guess. I just felt like it's coming out of the villain's mouth and he's being being corrected by a fellow villain as well. I don't know. I just liked it being said. That's true. true. In terms of, like, the movie saying it. That's true. And maybe maybe my argument is weakened by the practices that the movie shows because the movie is not otherwise endorsing an old-fashioned, by which I specifically mean a white supremacist cultural worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie does not otherwise endorse that. No. But it makes me think of the other moment that maybe is the last thing to take seriously in this movie, which is the class issues in this movie. And particularly... Uh, Toombs brings that up to Peter Parker, to Peter. He's stalling, but also what he says is like an earnest argument from him that the rich guys like Tony Stark don't care about the guys on the ground like us. You know it's true. Uh, We've seen in the movie that the destruction of New York like caused a lot of harm to the people on the ground and the rich people don't really care mm-hmm. and Tony Stark is just getting richer off of cleaning up the mess that he made instead of letting the people on the ground actually uh, you know benefit in any way Yeah, that's true in the movie and there's a lot of what happens with Tony and Peter is Tony's like got his head in his clouds and he's off in India somewhere and he does not connecting to where peter really is and that's tony being misguided yes absolutely right yeah and at the end of the movie even when peter rejects being part of the avengers and uh we're on peter's side but tony really did want him to be like it wasn't really a test he really did want him to be in the avengers because it's true that tony's out of touch yes absolutely so the class subtext of this movie that like the wealthy and powerful don't care about the people on the ground mm-hmm. and that's why peter shouldn't wear be wearing tony's suit i think is uh borne out through the movie yes i agree although in a lot of ways peter is i mean it's also interesting though because uh Class is interesting in this movie and in this world because the high school they go to is not a working class no, environment. No, Like, that's a rich a kid high, high school. school. Right? Yeah. And, like, uh, Liz is... One of the reasons it's so surprising that Toombs is Liz's father is because they seem uh, like they are in different class categories. Yes, absolutely. And it's also surprising because it might be unexpected because they don't look like they're uh in the same racial group yeah but she's pretty it's not at all surprising it's pretty plausible that she's biracial yeah but the class thing Mm -hmm. we talk about him having money but she acts like someone like she lives in the suburbs and acts like she's a different class from peter even that's all interesting 
I'm not sure what exactly to make of it in the end. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot in this movie to take seriously, but it also it is just, is it good? Is it seriously good? I think it's good. I think it's good. I'm, I'm without much discussion, happy to just call it good. Seriously. I think it's seriously good. Is there anything holding it back from being seriously good? Liz as a character. I think Liz as a character is holding it back a bit. But I think a lot of things redeem that. Yeah. And overall, I would... Honestly, I would rate it good and seriously good, unless you can argue me otherwise. I think I'm happy calling it good and seriously good. I think Liz is not seriously good, but I think there are enough other things that are seriously good that I'm happy to to agree there's a thing that we've noticed a couple of times that's definitely more on the good like there's lots of movies that are may way way worse than this but this is another movie uh where all the main characters are white and we make up for it by having all the minor characters be be played by actors of color with the possible exception of ned depending on whether he's main he wasn't main enough to be in the uh, list of actors that you found on the internet. Yeah, but Zendaya was. Well, oh, Zendaya, she, she also, and she's less of a character than Ned is. Yeah, that's why I was annoyed. Hmm. So, there you go. But that's something that I don't think is enough to make this ungood, but it is something to, like, let's keep an eye on that. Yep. <laughs> yep. That, like... Not, hashtag not your sidekick. Exactly. <laughs> so good and seriously good. I'm happy with that. All right. Um, I'm sure many of you have thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming. We'd love to hear them. Um, We'd love to get some more suggestions on movies that are, you know, on this edge of adult kids, tween, teen. I don't know. I hate those words. (laughs) (laughs) Tween is the worst word. It is. Our our oldest daughter said to me, am I a tween now? And I was like, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It's a made up thing. No, because that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. When I was anyway. a kid, I really hated it. Like, in my day, we called it preteen, and I hated that word, and my mom would always joke about me being a preteen. <laughs> a little running gag where I, you know, threw up every time she called me that. <laughs> anyway. Um, if you want to talk to us about movies. Oh, yeah. If you want to talk to us about movies, how would one do that, Paul? You can talk to us on Twitter, and we'll talk back. We could have a back and forth. Join the conversation as the uh, buzzwords go. Uh, at WTScast. You can find us at on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram. I've lately been doing a little drawing for every movie we watch, and I haven't drawn Spider-Man, but I suppose uh, it's very likely that I will. Um, you can... Send us an email if what you want to say is longer or more private than public social media. Waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com And if you like this show, uh, you can tell your friends about it, you can share it on social media, you can rate it and review it. Uh, We would love that. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. That will help us continue to do this show and all the other shows, which right now is one and a half, (laughs) that we make. 
and we would be also eternally grateful and you get extra stuff and all that jazz. Was that incredibly uh, rambly or was that okay? That was beautiful. (laughs) I tweeted a while ago a list of all the MCU movies rated by how appropriate they are for children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't find that thread again. But if I, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes of this and you can tell me, I'll retweet it as WTS cast and you can tell me whether you agree with my rating because I called Spider-Man Homecoming the most appropriate for children of all the MCU movies. And I forget which one I called the least, but it was probably Gardens of the Galaxy 2. Yeah. Or maybe one of the Iron Man movies. Yeah. Just because of all the like sleeping around with Tony Stark does. So. Okay. That's the end of our show. We were done and then I started talking again. <laughs> I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I'm a, your friendly neighborhood podcaster. I was going to say snicked, but I don't know. what. What's the sound that Spider-Man's webs make? <laughs> F-W-P. <laughs> or G-P.